I'm excited about tomorrow, March 15th, because it marks the second year anniversary of producing this podcast. I used to call it a labor of love, but because it has proven to be beneficial and meaningful for me and others, I choose to now call it a gift that keeps on giving. I want to thank every guest for saying yes to a conversation with me, every participant in the early days, and the audience for being here. This endeavor has positively exceeded my every expectation, and it wouldn't have been possible without you. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. My next guest is a same-race domestic adoptee from California at birth in the year 1976, a place where adoptees born there still are unable to request their original birth certificates. Her name is Talitha Abel. I met her through Maya Holmes, who can be heard on this podcast, episode 92 from season six. Maya gave a wonderful presentation via Zoom for Heart Child, an organization designed to help adoptive parents and their children. It was a day after that Zoom meeting, Talitha contacted me via email to be on my show. It is the first time she has publicly shared a part of her adoption story, and I consider it an absolute privilege to be trusted by her. Today you will learn about Talitha's journey of relinquishment, adoption, search, and reunion. She says she wondered about her beginning story and was always looking off and on to find her birth mom. Talitha will share her feelings during the last two years of being connected to the adoption community and how an adoptive parent played a major role in helping her navigate her experiences. As I get to know Talitha better, she is more than willing to be honest, transparent, and vulnerable in the things she has come to understand of what she has learned in a short period of time. Many of those things were very different from the story she had originally been told. In her learning more truths, she has been able to reframe her relinquishment and adoption story in new ways. Allow me to introduce you to someone who in 2020 was introduced to the adoptee community through a podcast, which has helped to add language and growth to her understanding of her adoptee identity. Talitha has decided to be intentional about meeting other adoptees and being in fellowship with them. She understands that reaching out is one of the best things she can do to help herself and others. Well, hello, Talitha. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. And I know you're a little bit nervous, and that's to be expected because this is your first time doing a podcast. So congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yes. And you're in Michigan? 
I am, yeah, right outside of uh, Detroit. Okay. Is the weather pretty good today? It's nice today. The sun is shining, and it's not super cold, so it's nice to be outside. That's good. Well, you sound good, and I was reflecting this morning on how I met you, so I don't want to take any shine away from our time together, like who you are in your story, but I have to shout out to Maya. Maya, uh, <laughs> she invited me to her presentation on Heart Child, and I was so glad I was there, and you were there. And so I really appreciate her bringing us together. And you were telling me a little bit about how you met her, which was through Angela Tucker. I guess you connected with Maya through Angela Tucker's podcast, The Adopting Next Door. And that was in 2020. So why don't don't we start there? Because I know you and Maya are same race, domestic, black adoptees, just like me. And so, yeah, let's start there. Okay. So I was, like many people, home and a reader and a podcast. I binge podcasts. (laughs) I love stories. And so... I came across um, Angela Tucker's uh, podcast just by typing in podcast and listened to all of them. And I never reached out, but I had to reach out and thank her for it because it just was so phenomenal. And I could relate to so many of the stories. And so in emailing back and forth, I asked her if she knew anyone who was same race that she could connect me to. And she connected me to Maya. And I think from that first phone call, we were like just the best of friends, always connecting. And so she kind of was with me on my journey to reunion with my family. And in that space, I was pointed in your direction to your podcast, which I then binged. Thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) And then I uh, was already connected with uh, my friend, Tamarie in California, who is an adoptive mom. So I introduced her to Maya and was so excited to see that you were on um, her Zoom. And I said, okay. (laughs) Jennifer is always coming in my circle. I I have to reach out, right? I have to reach out. I'm so So. glad you did. And and I want to go back and just say that presentation that Maya did was phenomenal. And I'm so glad I was there to hear it and to meet everybody, to see all the faces and names uh, who were in attendance. And I know one of the questions that I believe someone asked had to do with what's most important for an adoptive parent to know. It it was worded something like that. And I remember Maya's response I thought was perfect, that adoptive parents acknowledge your child's adoptee identity and adoptee status and recognize their insecurities as an adoptee. And that spoke to me. So, yeah, I just thought she did a great job in helping adoptive parents understand 
some of the, the issues we as adoptees face. I just wanted to yeah. say that. And, and I think uh, upon meeting you, the little bit you shared with me about your journey is very similar to Maya's. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So wherever you want to start and however much you want to share. Okay. I was born in March of 76 in California. Um, and I spent six months in foster care. I was, you know, later learned I was relinquished shortly after birth. So that wasn't the plan. When my birth mother was pregnant with me, she chose after having me. So I went into foster care. And then in October of 76 was adopted by my now adoptive parents. I had a really happy childhood. I was our only child for almost three years. She gave birth uh, in 78, November 78, to my brother. And the two of us are close, my brother and I. He is their biological child, but we're both very close. She tells me that I asked for a brother all the time <laughs> and actually started praying for a brother, didn't want to be an only child. Mm -hmm. So the two of us are close. But I always knew I was adopted. I can't remember a time when I didn't know. So I'm sure that they told me even when I didn't understand, under, you know, what that meant. But never felt different about it or bad about it or that something was wrong with me. It was a celebrated thing. I think the book that comes to mind a lot is... Uh, the book, Are You My Mother? Because mm. I think I was looking, right, for someone that would resemble my mother. I couldn't read any of the paperwork, but I knew my father would read to me, you know, the descriptors. I would look for someone who looked like I, you know, how she was described for me, to me. I just was always looking. On my 18th birthday, I was able to sign paperwork, but California is one of those states, you know, where you're not uh, privileged to see any of that information. And so even though I was looking off and on, my whole life was not able to find out any information. And so at some point, I was turned on to all of the DNA testing, and I did Ancestry and was closely matched to um, a cousin, but was never able to reach out, or I did reach out, but didn't get any information or reply back. Um, and so I was speaking to my friend in California, uh, Tamarie, and asked her to help me. She tells me that she chose to adopt having grown up with me just felt encouraged to do that. And so we talk a lot about adoption and she's surrounded, you know, by other adoptive moms and social workers. And so I reached out to her in um, 2021 and I said, I really am intent. Like I, I want to find them. This is on my list to do in my life. I have some time now that I'm stuck at home and uh, 
I really want to do this. And so she uh, was going to help me reach out to those DNA connections on Ancestry. We did that. We weren't really getting anywhere. And she said, perhaps try 23andMe. And so we did that and found some common DNA matches. And so we decided to reach out to a cousin through her business, just calling her. And she was able to give us a name of who she thought might be a birth, my birth father. And that's kind of how things went so quickly. I think within four weeks, we had connected with my birth family. That is I, quick. That's your maternal side? <laughs> uh, both. So oh, both. I, in my mind, my my goal was to find my birth mother. And my mother told me that uh, my birth mother's name, she told me the name, and I just, I thought maybe she was making it up. I don't know why. I thought she was making it up because it wasn't on the paperwork, right? And I thought, why would they tell her this? You know, and it's not written down. But from the name that the cousin had given us, you know, I was typing that in Ancestry and I came across a marriage certificate that had the name my mother gave me and the name this cousin had given me. And my first thought was, wait a minute, they were married because that's not the story I was given. And then like five minutes later, I found a birth certificate and I said, wait, there's, you know, I have a birth brother, you know, and we share the same parents. Um, And then about 10 minutes later, I found another sibling, same parents. And I I was in shock, (laughs) literally in shock. I can imagine so you have full um, siblings. I have full siblings. In the end, it, I found four siblings where we share parents. I think I had to put it down. Like I just put it down for three days trying to process that, right? Just why didn't anyone reach out? Should I continue to reach out? Uh, and my friend in California was so supportive. I mean, she had you know, the social workers in her circle. And so they were reaching out, talking to me, the therapist that I speak to um, weekly anyway, you know, having had nothing to do with adoption. I just um, felt that it was important to have a therapist. And so everyone was, you know, supporting me and talking me through this. And so we decided to go ahead and reach out and found 11 phone numbers for the first sibling that I had found. And so so my friend in California called. mm, So you, I guess, learned that your birth order would be what with these full siblings? So my birth order made me uh, the third child born and then the second child born to my birth parents. My birth father had three other children um, and we didn't share the same mother but he had three others so in total you know there's eight of us five of us share the same parents I was not expecting to find a whole family 
I was just hoping to find my birth mother and just find out some information about how I came to be, to get health history, but I found more, more than I even hoped for. That sounds like it was overwhelming. It was very overwhelming, very overwhelming. I was so grateful to have my friend in California and Maya, who had already been in reunion and could offer advice mm-hmm. and just a listening ear, right? Right. I know one of the things you shared with me when we talked some days ago is that your adoptive dad was very supportive of your, your search and and said, promise him that you won't stop searching. When I hear of adoptive parents being supportive of adoptees, being in reunion, it just does something to me. Like it's a really special feeling for me. And I'm glad you had that support. Yeah, I I wish he were still alive. I cheer up just a little bit thinking about that because he would be really happy, I think, yeah. um, to be on the journey and, and know the story. And you said he was a social worker, which that makes me smile, too. So he he understood the importance of it. He did. He, he worked with a lot of foster boys. And so I think he just had a different insight than my mom did or you know, just people in general. He he could see the other side or from their experience. Sure. Yeah, you know, as same-race Black domestic adoptees, I, I'm pretty sure that we're underrepresented in the community. And as Maya and I have talked about it, some of the issues we deal with aren't so obvious to the public or even other members of the community, you know, other adoptees. Would you say that there's something that you would describe about your experience that makes our experience unique? And I'll give you an example. For me, I fit in. You know, I look a lot like my adoptive family. And so when people would say, and I would get this a lot, and you'd share with me if you got this, I knew that was your cousin because you all look alike, you know, and in my mind, of course, I'm I'm thinking, well, we're not biologically related. So whatever, <laughs> whatever resemblance you see is just happenstance, you know, and that I am adopted. But I'm processing this in my head. It's usually not a conversation like I just accept what they say and go on. Did you experience that? I did. I I did. And I I think. I couldn't put words to what that was, but just right in listening to podcasts and and other adoptees and talking to Maya, it's um, it was me protecting my birth mother, I guess. Like, well, she existed. She existed. And when that said, it, to me, it felt like you'd be raised back you've erased her and she matters to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, but they don't know, right? It's completely innocent. I often think that they are trying to, if they know that I'm adopted, 
trying to make me feel comfortable. So family, right, would say, oh, you look like your dad or you do that just like your mom. <laughs> and I would think, oh, no, that can't be. But I understood that they were attempting to make me feel comfortable or compliment me. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about your reunion. So you meet your birth mom. What was that like? It was amazing. I remember thinking before, as I was on the journey, that I wanted my, my adopted mom with me, right? Or, or my brother. And then when it came down to it, I thought, no, this is, this is something I have to do by myself. I had to meet her alone. I was happy even to see that my birth siblings weren't there, that um, they even understood or she understood that it just had to be the two of us to reflect and just for me to learn what happened, you know, why she made the decision and to accept each other as, I mean, it had been 45 years. So there was a lot to discuss. I bet. Where was the meeting at? So I met her um, at her home. I was trying to decide the best space, trying to choose a neutral space, but I felt comfortable, you know, at her home with just her talking, you know, about what happened. For me, it was like stepping into her world. Um, and I, you know, for me, I thought that would never have happened. So it was amazing. I can picture that being a very intense moment upon meeting again, right? Like it's it's really like I'm picturing when reunions occur between adoptees and birth moms. I mean, we were together at one time years and years ago. I just imagine it being so intense. And did you have a lot of questions? I did. I, you know, you know, I wanted to know what happened, how she made that decision, what she was feeling. And and I had questions, you know, that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know if she held me, if my birth father knew about me. Like, I didn't have the whole story at all, so. She was able to provide you with, with yeah. answers. Yeah, my siblings know about me. You know, I was curious about all of that. Did they know? I So one sibling did know about me, a younger sister, she said, you know, she had told her, if a woman ever comes looking for me and says she's your sister, believe her. Mm. Now and that's so, a full sibling, the, the younger sister. A full sibling, yeah. yeah. So it was just the timing in her life where she would relinquish you and keep a child after you. So she actually had kept my older sister so I have a sister 10 months older and I think the whole stress of it she you know was from this side of the country the east coast side of the country and was in California and very young 17 and had already had a child 
was not yet married to my birth father. He was not, you know, at a space where he was, you know, wanting all of this or coping well with it. She said he looked at me and said I wasn't his. And I could understand that, right? I could understand how she felt having been in that space too, right? I experienced the same thing and she felt like the best option for both of us was for her to place me with someone who could raise me and be able to give me what I need. And so she made a decision after having me. And I understand that. I understand. Right. It sounds like you've been able to unpack it enough where it's not unsettling and that I guess your adoption journey was um, to unfold the way it did for all concern. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so, every one of my siblings have been so welcoming. I mean, I still remember that first phone call. It wasn't with her. It was with two brothers, right? And that's like, they were just, you know, they said, what else this? And I was just so happy, right? <laughs> I said, I can't even believe this is happening. Right. Um, and several of them check in daily with me. Um, she calls me daily. And I've learned, you know, that that's even normal. <laughs> I thought that I knew what that was, but like she would say, did you make it home safely? Did you eat today? And I wanted to say, I'm a grown up. Why is she <laughs> worried about these things? <laughs> I've been living this long, but. <laughs> I think I heard another podcast where that's normal, right? For for her, it's back to when I'm an infant, right? Right. So she has to process it all in her mind, too. Yeah. I've heard it said that way, that birth moms tend to go back in time and see us still as infants, even though we've been adults for decades. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. But it's, I think it's not, I mean, it's given us a chance to bond, right? And to learn about each other. And so it's been, that's been a good thing. Mm -hmm. So how did you get connected to Heart Child? Because it seemed like on, on that Zoom call, there were quite a few adoptive parents. Right. So my friend who was helping me had decided to adopt a little girl in that, I learned about all these resources that now happens when someone tries or adopts, right? The classes and the support groups, just the whole community. Honestly, I had no idea any of this existed before 2020. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Right. And um, I was listening to her daughter talk. Her daughter is surrounded by other adopted children her age. And a lot of the feelings and the questions are normal, everyday talk. Mm. How old is her daughter? Her daughter, I believe, is about eight or nine. Okay. 
I thought, well, that's phenomenal. Imagine if I had had that, right? I know. I was just thinking, like, oh, I would have loved that at eight years old, 10 years old. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) I just, because some of the thoughts and questions and feelings, whenever I would bring them up, you know, it would be, I would be told, oh, no, you don't feel that. Or I just was made to feel like, it wasn't normal, and so I would stuff it down. Yeah, right? same here. And try, yeah. try to ignore it, which was harmful, I think. Created an insecurity in my identity and who, who I am. Mm-hmm. So and I, I think just thought it, that was phenomenal that she had that. Yeah, I do too. And I think it, I loved how you put it once you got connected to the adoption community in 2020, 2021, you started to completely feel normal to feel like you do. Listening to podcasts, listening to other adoptees, uh, I would agree. Yeah, that's what happened. So why not be able to feel that at eight instead of have to wait to 48, right? I'm talking me, like at 48, I'm starting to identify with, yeah, it's, it's normal to feel like I do as an adoptee being in the community now. Right. So for me, that was, I think I started listening around 44 mm-hmm. and then found my birth family at 45 uh, and now I'm 46. So it feels like I've been on this speeding train, <laughs> <laughs> learning all these things, but I want to learn it, right? It's yeah. just, it gets faster and faster. And, and I'm enjoying that. It's not all easy, but I'm enjoying processing it and and moving towards a healthier space. Yeah. So Heart Child is um, an organization for adoptive parents and their children. Yeah, it's for it's for their children. So the children have I'm not sure what they've been doing since the pandemic, but they used to meet monthly. My friend told me um, and the children get together and play. The parents are always um, having support groups. And as of late, they're reading. And now I'm trying to think of the book. Well, we can always include it in the show notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they know, right? Their children are already asking about their birth parents. Do they want to meet them? Do they not? Why? And so the mothers and fathers are really educating themselves on that and preparing themselves for when that time should come. And so it's interesting to see how the parents process that, how they feel about it, because I often wonder what my adoptive mother is thinking and going through. She doesn't speak too much about it and is definitely of the generation where we push these things down, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. it gives me hopefully insight. I don't know for sure because she doesn't talk about it, but helps me to understand her a little. We have that in common. Uh, my adoptive mom really didn't want to talk about adoption. Don't we love you enough? Why would you want to search all of that? And I often wonder, because she passed in 2002, 
But I often wonder if she were still here, would she be listening? Would she maybe have a change of heart about her perspective of adoptees wanting to know their original family? And and I'd like to be optimistic that she maybe would have been able to listen and see things differently. And so I think it's important what Heart Child is doing for younger adoptees to be able to benefit from the questions that they have, the feelings that they have, being able to listen to other adoptees and, and know that, as you put it, um, it's normal to feel like I do as an adoptee. So yeah. what would you say is like the most rewarding thing about being connected to the community? That's pretty big in itself that you feel like you're normal, but anything else? <laughs> I, I'm enjoying that it's so, how would I say, broad. It's so, it's evolving. Yeah, it's evolving. Just the language and those who are contributing and sharing their stories and giving voice. I just, I love that piece of it in my mind. I'm a nurse, so I'm hoping that it's going to open things up a bit because I didn't know there were so many, right, adoptees. I had no idea. Um, but I think we all have something to contribute and and to just make have an impact on so many different things, so many different things. I think I was listening to one podcast and they were talking about how, um, I don't know if it was a conference or something. And when everyone entered the room, it was, everyone was on the outside of the room (laughs) and nobody wanted to be to the middle. And that's just kind of how things worked. And I thought I do that all the time, but (laughs) thought it was something else but (laughs) it's it's like a protective thing and I thought well what if that changed the you know our our systems and social forms if everybody was allowed to enter in a way that was comfortable for them you Mm -hmm. know I just think all of that is is really amazing yeah I do too well, as we wrap things up, because I want to honor your time, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to share? Hmm. I think I would just encourage uh, not only adoptees, but everyone to be intentional about seeing others, right, and validating who they are in whatever moment it is. I think it's so important to uh, be seen because we all want to be seen. And it's important to feel and know that that you're validated. So mm-hmm. that's what I would say. Thank you for sharing that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me. It was so wonderful to receive your email and know that Uh, You were on that Zoom where Maya presented and and I let her know that I heard from you and she was excited too. So I I just thank you for having this conversation with me. 
Of course, I'm honored. I am honored. <laughs> it is often another layer of relinquishment when an adoptee learns that they have full siblings that weren't adopted out. That can be a hard fact to reconcile of being the only one who was unable to stay with original family members. Talitha, through reunion with her birth mother, was able to ask questions and receive answers to satisfy why events followed that led to her relinquishment and adoption. She has come to believe that circumstances during the time of her birth were far more complicated for her birth mother, and she extends much grace to her. Though Talitha is in reunion with both sides of her biological family, she still looks forward to seeing her original birth certificate one day when California changes its antiquated adoption laws. It makes me sad that I now have my real record of birth, but other adoptees in this country don't. I like knowing that Talitha took center stage here because she knows that we as adoptees help others when we share our stories. For the past two years, I have met adoptees through other adoptees who were happy to make introductions whenever they could. And that makes our community a beautiful place to rest our sometimes heavy baggage. The connections in the community are growing, and it seems that this adoptee movement is unstoppable. Thank you, Talitha, for having this conversation with me. I sense that you have sat with the emotions and feelings of the truths you have learned as recent as the start of the pandemic. You have unpacked so much to help you be empowered on your journey. I have a suspicion that you are buckled in for the ride of a lifetime in the years to come as you make more and more discoveries. I love hearing that you have been embraced by your biological family and they treat you with the love you so deserve. Your personality is one of openness, understanding, and compassion. Those qualities have worked for me through the years, and it seems like they are of immense value to you, too. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so that others can find it, too. During the course of your day, we hope that you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it. The word of mouth is the best way to grow the show. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, we hope that you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adoptee land. Your contribution allows a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you for being here.